Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Last week we spoke from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And in one of the verses we covered, it stated, God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then God created Eve to complete an incomplete Adam. But the interesting thing is, thousands of years later, Paul, a devoted follower of Jesus, he writes believers in the ancient city of Corinth, and here's what he declares. So married men, I'm about to give you an opportunity to just express your love for your marriage. I want to go ahead and tell you that so you don't miss it this morning. So first statements for you. Here's what Paul says. The person who marries does well. All right, pretty good. And then the second part, he says, and the person... Okay, so let me, let me go ahead and qualify. When I read this statement, married men, you better be quiet. All right, I just I realized I need to prep you for both statements. And the person who doesn't marry does even better. That's for the singles this morning. Very wise, married men. But which is it? Is it not good for men and women to be alone, or is it better to be single? Okay, so about six months ago, one of the members of our congregation, they knew I was going to be preaching on, on Jesus and marriage, and so they asked if I would preach about singleness. I thought, you know, that could be interesting. Let me, let me do that. What I didn't realize until I got into the passage was, I, as a married man, am about to declare it's better to be single. <laughs> Creates a dilemma in my home, right? Shelly's like, oh, it's better to be single, huh? So it created an interesting tension for me this week as I was working through these passages. But thankfully, I have an amazing wife uh, who I did have read over these notes. So I'll tell you, first draft didn't make it. <laughs> Second draft, much better. <laughs> uh, she's helping me communicate these seemingly opposite truths this morning. I mean, because that, that's kind of the tension we're in today. So what we're going to do is continue a Better Together series with a message on Jesus and singleness, discovering the important place that singles have in the kingdom of God. I honestly, it was really fun getting into these verses and just discovering what does God have to say about, you know, we covered marriage last week, but what's he got to say about singleness? And he's got a lot that he has, has to say. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. We're actually just going to pick up uh, in the passage that we were in last week and, and follow that through because Jesus is, is talking about marriage and divorce, but then he talks about singleness too. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 19 where we left last week. I'm just going to go ahead and reiterate one of the verses we shared last week just to give us the context this morning. But here's what, what Matthew records, in, and it's found in Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse uh, 8 or 9. I'll start in verse 9 and then kind of continue through the rest of that, that passage there. And, and here's what Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So this is the context of then the disciples respond to this. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. 
to which Peter then got slapped by his wife. (laughs) But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive, receive this. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off in our, our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and marriage. And the focus was, is learning what marriage is for. We learned it's about friendship. And, and ultimately, it's about displaying God to the world. That's what your marriage is for. So I, I wanted to follow up. So how'd it go this week? If you were married, did you find a way to serve your spouse? Maybe even talk them up in the workplace? Was your marriage not just a blessing for you, but was it a blessing to others too this week? it's meant to be. Your marriage is about displaying God to the world. And it turns out singleness is meant for much of the same. But being single can be a challenge. It can feel lonely at times, but there is a place for singleness in the kingdom of God. And, And what we find as we look at scripture is being single is not a curse. Being single, it's not a curse. I know that's an interesting place to start, but at the same time, there have been times When I've been in conversation with a single person, they can give the impression their singleness is a curse. And where does this come from? I was was thinking about how do those messages get absorbed? And and I want to start with me first. I I thought about the fact that, you know, I'm married, so I have kids, and, and sometimes even just my message illustrations, they come from my life experience, which includes marriage and parenting. So let me say up front, if I've ever made a single in our congregation feel like a second class kingdom citizen, Man, I'm sorry. That is not my heart or intent. But you think about how much we talk about marriage and family, but singleness has a really important place in the kingdom. I think about it. All of our pastors are married. Our deacons are married. Most of our small group leaders are married. So it can seem like spiritual maturity comes with a ring, but it doesn't. I've heard well-meaning married people ask singles, so are you dating? So when are you planning on getting married? Are you still single? Why do we ask those kinds of questions, Right? Come on, have you tried online dating? Or they might say, well, I know God has someone just right for you. That perfect spouse is just around the corner. And in all of these ways, you think about it, illustrations, examples, and in the questions that singles receive, it can make a single feel less than. But this feeling that singleness is a curse, it doesn't just come from modern times. It was really interesting to look into this this week, that singleness was actually despised in the Old Testament. Uh, We spent some time in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 last week, and in Genesis chapter 1, we find that God gave Adam a command and a blessing that the people of Israel took very seriously. A reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So we find in the Old Testament that childbearing was a sign of God's blessing. We also find that barrenness was a sign of a curse. So in the Old Testament, to remain single was to disobey God's command to be fruitful and multiply, which was to miss the blessings of God. Singleness was seen as a dead end. Uh, Jeremiah, one of the few singles mentioned in the Old Testament, he was commanded to be single, but listen to why, as a sign of impending doom on Israel. That's great, right? No. So we can see that singles feeling less than or even curse can come from a number of different sources, even scripture. 
But here's the thing. Our unmarried Messiah Jesus, he comes and challenges how God's people think about the single who is devoted to his kingdom and his mission. He challenges all of that. Where previously singles were kept from God's kingdom expansion, physically going forth and multiplying, expanding or extending their family lineage, now the cross of Christ changes everything. I love how Jesus does that. He comes and he changes things. He changes culture. He changes the understanding of how we view all people. So let me be clear. Scripturally speaking, singleness is not weird, second class, or an afterthought to God. It's not. Absolutely not. From our passage this morning, we find Jesus talking with the disciples about marriage and singleness. And Matthew records, the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So when Jesus says there are people who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, he's referring to people who have not married so that they could better serve King Jesus. That's what he's talking about. He doesn't condemn such individuals, but actually exalts them by saying, let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. Singles are incredibly important to the kingdom of God. Why? If for no other reason, because Jesus said so. That's enough. So if you're single, just know you are a vital part of God's kingdom. Singleness is not a curse. If you're married, it's important you view singles with the same kind of spiritual authority as you would anyone else. Absolutely. Marriage is not a sign of spiritual maturity. Devotion to God's kingdom is. That's what it is. And that devotion can be determined by those who engage in our kingdom mission because singles have a mission to fulfill. Absolutely they do. What we take for granted, the Jews of Jesus' day would not have. How can singleness, what appears to be the undermining of God's cultural mandate from Genesis chapter 1, how can it be used for the kingdom? The answer is that Jesus redeems singleness. Jesus further clarifies the mission of God's people, which would include married and unmarried alike. You're familiar with these verses if you've been in the congregation for any length of time. But think about this in the context of both married and single. Jesus declares, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The mission of God in the Old Testament, it always included every nation. But the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, it seemed to infer growth through physical multiplication, something that excluded singles. But now we find throughout the New Testament, the early church stressed spiritual multiplication. That's what the New Testament church was all about. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he writes Timothy, a mentee of his, and here's what he says. So Timothy... What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who can teach others also. So all throughout the New Testament, it's all about spiritual multiplication. Absolutely. So think about Paul to Timothy who entrusted to faithful men who can also share it with others also. That's four generations. Four generations of multiplication. So the procreation mandate given to Adam, it's reissued by Jesus in the form of the Great Commission Go, therefore, and multiply spiritual children. That's the new mandate. King Jesus expects that all of us 
will fulfill the mission of his kingdom, going out into our neighborhoods and networks to multiply spiritual children of all nations. That's his instruction for all of us, married or single alike. Like he, he basically redeems all of those things. So let me ask, how are you doing? Fulfilling the mission. Are you living a fruitful kingdom life? Can you trace back someone else's spiritual growth because of the influence you had in their life? Let me take that a step further. This, this would be even better. Can you trace someone's spiritual growth back to the influence you had on the person who influenced them? Like, that's real discipleship, right? Multiple generations. How are you doing in that area? I, I know people in this congregation who are using hunting as a means of multiplying spiritual children. So it doesn't matter your gifts and your abilities. Use what you have to multiply God's kingdom. Use what your interests are to multiply his kingdom. We all have that mandate. We've got families who invite other people into their home, and around the, the dinner table, they have spiritual conversations. We've got other people in their workplace who find ways to share with coworkers and multiply them that way. So the question is, what are you doing to fulfill the mission within your sphere of influence? Consider finding a way this week to share a truth you've read in Scripture or, or to pray with someone in need or to serve someone you know. Find a way to do that. Why? Because we have a mission to fulfill. And what we find in Scripture is singles are strategic in God's kingdom. Singles are strategic in God's kingdom. Paul, who I quoted above, he was single. And although childless, Paul had many children, calling churches like those in Corinth and, and Galatia his beloved children. He also talked of Timothy, Titus, and Onesimus as children. Paul may have been unmarried, but this is what he says about his spiritual children. He says, after all, what gives us hope and joy, and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord when he returns? It is you, he says. Yes, you are our pride and joy. He's writing the church in Thessalonians, and what he understands is his spiritual children are his joy. And Paul was an amazing spiritual father as a single person, something that all believers should aspire to. So no matter your marital status today, you are called to be a spiritual father and a spiritual mother. And can I also say, it doesn't matter your age. You can be a spiritual father and a spiritual mother no matter your age. So if you're single, you have not been overlooked when it comes to the mission of God. You are God's masterpiece. He has prepared good works for you to do, is what Scripture tells us. Work that has meaning and purpose, and that won't be done without you. Whatever God has prepared for you, it cannot be done except by you. So what are we doing to get that done? The grand mission of life is not marriage. It is to love Jesus with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we all have such this opportunity for us and endeavors to do. So if you're single, you have an opportunity to be one of the greatest tools in the hands of God for his kingdom. You really do. Because here's what Paul writes the Corinthian church in talking about marriage and singleness. He says, now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. 
But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or who has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Can I say that's really the crux of this whole passage? Let me read that again. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiance improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he's decided firmly not to marry and there's no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiance does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. Interesting passage, right? Talking about marriage and singleness. And what Paul is basically saying here is a married person has a division of responsibilities, whereas a single person does not. Why does Paul say that the person who doesn't marry does even better? Because they are the only people who have the ability to reach their full individual potential. I want you to consider that this morning. The only person who will ever meet their full individual potential in this life is a single person serving Jesus. Now, if you're married, this statement might bother you, but it shouldn't. Because Jesus doesn't expect us to reach our full individual potential, he expects us to fulfill our calling. Do you understand the difference? There's a big difference between potential and calling. A big difference. And I think we, we confuse those in our culture today. Our culture would say that we're to maximize our personal potential, but a fully alive life in the kingdom of God is simply one of fulfilling our calling, not one of trying to maximize our personal potentials. So let's not confuse potential with calling this morning. Those are two very different things. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, a verse right before this passage, it says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul, in saying he wishes that all were like him, what he's referring to is his singleness. That's what he's talking about. He declares it a gift. In Greek, it's, it's a charisma, which is the same word used when talking about spiritual gifts. And so some people have been given the gift of singleness in order that they might reach their full individual potential in this life for the kingdom of God. My, uh, my seminary advisor, his running joke on this gift, he's like, it's the only spiritual gift people don't pray for. Come on. <laughs> but what if you don't think you have the gift of singleness? Maybe you don't find it easy being on your own, and you long to marry. Singleness as a gift does not just refer to those who might have the ability to be content as a single person. Singleness as a gift can simply refer to the state of being single. That as long as you are single, it is a gift from God, just as marriage will be God's gift if you get married. We should receive our situation in life, whether it be singleness or marriage, as a gift from God. That's really what Paul's talking about. 
But what does Paul mean that being single is better? Simply put, singleness has its advantages. In Paul's language, single people are spared the troubles of marriage, is what he says. There are many great blessings in marriage. Anybody that's married could tell you that, but there are challenges too. Life is more complicated. There's more than one person to consider in decisions about what job to take, where to live, how to use your time, where to go on vacation, how you spend your holidays, and even daily meals. If a couple has kids, children bring joy, but some anxiety as well. So Paul tells singles, I want to spare you this. That's what he's writing about. So Paul is encouraging people to stay single if they can, because if you get married, your interests become divided. And then he says, to be clear, if you're married, you haven't sinned with those divided interests. But it's simply your new responsibility, a new way of living devoted to God. But make no no mistake, living devoted to God while married can be more complicated than when you're single. Why? Because while a single person can make a decision for themselves and run with it, a married person has to consider their spouse and maybe kids if they have them. I've known several people, I felt like it was important to make this understanding this morning, that they did not consider their singleness a gift, so they rushed into marriage only to find out there's something more challenging than being single. It's called a bad marriage. I've long told people the two most important decisions you make in life is the decision to follow Jesus and then the other decision of who you marry. Because one decision determines heaven and hell for all of eternity, and the other decision determines heaven or hell in this life. Right? Come on. Now, married men, I would not say amen to that one. But it's true. We know it. So singleness, we can consider that a gift. Being single isn't a bad thing. It allows you to serve God and go after your full potential. I was thinking about this for Shelly and I. When, when we got married, that meant my individual potential was going to be reduced in order to maximize our collective potential. That's what it meant. And Shelly's individual potential, it was going to be reduced as she worked toward our collective potential as well. That's what happens in marriage. And if you have the right view of marriage, I want to say this becomes a delight as two come together as one. But I also want to say that's also a big part of the problem for many married couples, which leads to the trouble Paul's talking about. In order for a married couple to increase their collective potential, which is absolutely possible, they must first die to their individual potentials and come together as one. This is God's plan, mind you, but it is difficult to accomplish in a lot of marriages. This is what it means for a husband to love his, his wife and to lay down his life for her. Uh, this is what it means for a wife to respect her husband, what we talked about last week with Jesus in marriage. The question for every spouse in marriage is how can I help my spouse appear in all of their glory before our Lord? So personally, what that means for me is how can I help Shelly appear in all her beauty before King Jesus? And Shelly is preparing me for the day when I'll stand before our King, which means you should be prepared, praying for Shelly. She's got a difficult job, right? Yes, she does. Well, Shelly and I, let me say this. What we're not doing is working on our own individual resumes to present to King Jesus. That's not what we're doing. And I mention all this because a big mistake a lot of married people can make is if they're not careful, they sacrifice their marriage and their family relationships trying to meet their individual potentials instead of fulfilling their God-given calling and responsibilities. I've seen it time and time again that people fall into the trap of thinking, well, God gave me these gifts and they have to be maximized. But I want to tell you that's not true. Our culture might say that, but God's word doesn't. It's a big difference. For example, I enjoy writing. I've got a couple of books I'm working on. 
But what I'm committed to is I'm not going to give up nights and weekends to get them done. Why? Because if you're parents, you understand you've got your kids for a short time, and I want more time with them than anything else. Will those books get done? Maybe, but not at the cost of missing out on time with my kids while I've got them at, house, at the house. Uh, one of the reasons we struggle with this, I, I was thinking about why, why do we struggle with, with that potential versus calling piece? And I think part of that is because of an unfortunate misunderstanding of what we call the parable of the talents. Because the translation of the word talent, that's actually the Greek word. It's referring to money in the parable, but we translate that to gifts, to giftedness. But this is not what this parable is about. This parable is actually about devotion and witness to our king and all that we own. That's what it's about, that the king has ascended, he's gone on a journey, he's going to return, and he's going to wonder, have we been a witness of him with all that we've owned? That's what that parable is about. It's, it's a bit of a flyover, but that's what it's referring to. This is not about giftedness and potential in this parable. The only people who ever meet their full individual potential are single people serving Jesus. This is why both Jesus and Paul say in similar terms, the person who doesn't marry is even better. They really do mean that. This is why I said singles are strategic in God's kingdom. That wasn't fluff trying to make singles feel good today. That's what scripture says. But now married people, that doesn't mean you leave your spouse to become single. Now that you realize all of this, right? I love that actually Paul mentioned this. Like he must have forethought. Yeah, I'm going to talk about singles are better, so I need to talk about married people. Here's what he says. If you have a wife, do not end the marriage. Instead, he instructs in verse 17, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. So if you're married, consider your marriage a gift. If you are single, consider, consider your singleness a gift while you have it. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in, do not be distracted, but instead be devoted to King Jesus. That's really the whole point. In whatever situation the Lord has placed us, we're not to be distracted, but devoted to our King and his kingdom. So if you're single, maximize your individual kingdom potential. And if you're married, maximize your collective kingdom potential. And in so doing, we fulfill Jesus's expectations for us. So if you're single, I want to remind you, God has a masterpiece mission for you to fulfill. He really does. And if you're married, you can have, I want to say this, you can have divided interests while at the same time have undivided devotion to King Jesus. Does that make sense? You can have divided interests, but you can still be fully devoted to the King of Kings. It's a challenge, but it can be done. So whether you're married or single, Jesus expects our undivided devotion. And this undivided devotion can sometimes be simpler for singles, which is why singles are strategic in God's kingdom. But what about it not being good for men and women to be alone? What about that? Well, it's true. It's not good for singles to be alone. So coming back to where we started, is it not good for men and women to be alone, or is it better to be single? And the answer is yes, right? You find those tensions in Scripture, and you kind of try to resolve those, but both are true. So how do we reconcile these two truths? I would encourage singles not to be alone. In fact, just as a, a married couple can reflect the intimate kind of relationship God desires for us to have, so singles and their relationships with others can image God's desire to be in relationship with all people. I, I love that. Does it make sense? So what I'm saying is singleness images God's desire to inclusively welcome all people, all nations to be in relationship with him, while marriage images God's desire for an exclusive, intimate relationship with us. He images both. Both are important to God. So I would say, singles, join a life group. 
If you're a young adult, we've got a number of young adult life groups that you can be a part of. Grow your relationships with others. If you're not a young adult, we've got several other life groups that you can join. You can sign up at connectionpointchurch.org. But let me take that a step further with those who are married and, and maybe even have a family. Let me say this. There should be no lonely people at Connection Point Church. There should be no lonely people at Connection Point Church. But I bet if I were to go around and interview some people today, I'd probably find some. We need to be opening our homes to one another and relating to one another on a deeper level than just casual acquaintances. We are the family of God, and our singles should know they have family here. Right? Absolutely. So let's help make that happen. Married couples and families, find a single that you can just have as a part of your family. It's a wonderful thing. Before Shelly and I had gone overseas to, to Sudan, one of the guys that was teaching us, he shared a really interesting principle. He said, you know what? He challenged married couples. Find a single that can be a part of your family. It's a blessing to them and the fellowship they can have, but it could be a blessing to you because you know what? You're going to need support in your marriage because marriage can be a challenge sometimes. And so I've always remembered that. So find a way, couples and married uh, our families, to, to be able to have a single a part of your life. And singles, knowing it's not good for men and women to be alone. It's possible you could struggle with loneliness and sexual temptation. We know that. Now, those struggles are certainly not limited to the unmarried, but for sure, they can sometimes be stronger when you're single. And I would say this, loneliness and sexual temptation usually go hand in hand. That the lonelier a person becomes, the more likely they could fall short in the area of their sexual desires. So this is one of the reasons why it's so important to keep in close relationship with friends and family. And it often helps to have one or two close friends who help to keep you accountable in this area. But I want to say this. This is kind of the last thought this morning. We don't just have a life group and friends and family. We have Jesus. All of us. We have Jesus. And he's enough. I've shared before from the, th the theme of Scripture is missions. But the promise of Scripture is the presence of God. We have access to the presence of our Creator. What are we doing to have those encounters with Him? That human marriage, it reflects the marriage God wants to enjoy with His people forever. Scripture speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom who will one day return to take His bride, the church, to be with Him in, in perfect new creation. But the good news is, we can already experience something of the intimate marriage with Jesus here on earth by the work of the Spirit in our lives. We already have access to that. So are you spending time with Jesus? Human relationships, yes, they matter. But none are as important as our eternal relationship with Jesus. So let's keep that in mind. But this is also why Jesus expects our undivided devotion. He expects it of all of us because he's worthy of it. That we have a king. We live in a kingdom. God's word is our guide and we have a mission to fulfill. A mission that we fulfill better together as singles and as married people. Both are important. So if you're single, I would encourage you in a couple of ways this morning. Number one, thank God for the gift of singleness. Have you done that? That whatever your experience of singleness recognizes as a gift from God and make the most of it for as long as you have it. Second thing is, is do all you can to live a godly life. It can be easy to fall into a selfish, self-centered lifestyle and into sexual sin. So it's important to be self-disciplined and accountable with others. And the third thing for singles is live in community with others. The notion that it's not good for men and women to live alone, it's right. So if you're single, I'd encourage you, build relationships with others. Find a life group to join. Get to know a married couple. You have community here. But now if you're married, I'd like to challenge you in a couple ways. Number one, 
Let's not think of singleness as second best. Scripture is clear that it's not. It's not. Refrain from asking singles questions about marriage. Appreciate the contribution that singles make to the kingdom of God. And instead of asking questions, invite them over for a meal or a movie with your family. Do that. And the last thing is, remember that your family, so married people, remember your family is the whole church. It's not just restricted to who's living in your house. There should be no lonely people in our congregation. We're the family of God, and our singles should know that they've got family here. But I would say this. I'll, I'll close with this final thought. No matter your marital status this morning, it's important to understand Jesus expects our undivided devotion. That's really the point of the whole passage today. He expects it. Don't be distracted by TV, video games, social media, sports leagues, or, or anything else in our culture that would try to steal our attention from those things that really matter in life, loving Jesus and loving others. Don't be distracted. This is what Paul was saying in that verse, is don't be distracted. No matter your situation, don't be distracted. This world is passing away. So whether single or married, let's give Jesus our undivided attention. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as we prepare to close, I'd just like to ask, are you here today and you realize you really haven't given Jesus your undivided attention? All of us are called to that. Maybe one of the reasons you haven't done that is because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So it's hard to give attention to someone you're not in a relationship with, right? But today you would realize, I, I want to be in relationship with Jesus because it's through him you're granted meaning, real meaning and purpose in this life and life forever with him after this life. And so today you can do something about that. You shouldn't walk out of this room. I said two most important decisions. Number one is, are you a follower of Jesus? So with every head bowed in this room this morning, I just want to start there. That you would say, I need to become a follower of Jesus. I want to be in relationship with him. And then I can give him my undivided attention. Because he has my best interests in mind. So who here today would say, that's me? I want to follow Jesus. I want to devote my life to him. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you give us the opportunity to be in relationship with you. So God, I pray that we never take that for granted. God, I pray that for those that are here today, either in person or online, that you would compel all of us to live with undivided devotion to you. God, I thank you for the place that singles have in the kingdom of God, how vital and strategic they are. So God, I just pray that you would encourage the heart of the single today, that they would recognize how valuable they are to you and to this congregation. They matter to you and to us. And so God, I just pray for strength and encouragement today. Lord, I pray for married couples that as we read through those passages and it says, I want to spare you these, these challenges, Paul writes. I, I pray, Lord, that if people are facing challenges in marriage, that you would help them to redirect, to not be distracted, to, but, but to be focused on you and your kingdom. Lord, we just trust you for that work in all of our lives. We commit this to you. In your name we pray. Amen.